sharing that with us. That was a real blessing to all of us, wasn't it? It's uh, with joy we're opening up our Bibles this evening to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. It's, uh, I'm just going to read one verse. Very short, says a lot, very pregnant with thought. And uh, I didn't mean that to be a play on. But you know what? <laughs> that was totally accidental, I'll tell you. <laughs> okay, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Father, we just ask you to bless the word. Lord, take it, use it where there's need in each of our hearts. May it bring comfort where there's need for comfort. May it bring life where there's need for life. Lord, may there bring joy where there's need for joy. Lord, we, we trust you to speak to us tonight in Christ's name. Amen. Well, you know, Advent is that season on the Christian calendar, those four weeks, the four Sundays before Christmas. And uh, typically, Advent ends on Christmas Eve. It's a time of expectancy. It's a time of heartfelt preparation leading up to the birth of Christ and the celebration of that birth on the 25th. Advent comes from a Latin word, which comes from a Greek word, which is one that many of you are familiar with, parousia, which means uh, coming. You know, there's a second coming of Christ, uh, parousia, which is he's coming back, but there's also the first coming of Christ, and that is parousia when he was born in Bethlehem. Tonight, as we uh, close the Advent season, I just wanted to open up and look at one verse, verse 18. And I put in my notes, I'm going to say it because they're here, had no idea when I said this, but this is pregnant with thought. And uh, the context is quite clear. Matthew opens up, Matthew chapter 1, with a genealogy of uh, our, our Savior Jesus. Uh, Matthew brings a genealogy of a tax collector uh, who, who wrote the book of Matthew under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 41 generations that led up to the birth of Christ. And then Luke also has his own genealogy through a doctor, Dr. Luke, who gives a longer detailed chronology of, of over uh, 76 generations, starting at Adam, le- leading up to Christ. Joseph starting with Adam, Mary starting with, with, with I mean, Joseph starting with Abraham, Mary starting with Adam. And all this leads up to the great verse that I just read, verse 18, the birth of Jesus Christ. It's as if Matthew is saying, listen, I gave you an extensive genealogy leading up to Christ. And now I'm going to bring you one more genealogy in one verse, one half of one verse. Verse 18 says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Now, the word birth there is interesting. It's the same word that's for genealogy that's found back in verse 1. Here's the genealogy of Jesus Christ. He was born this way. And so, whether you look at Luke, his genealogy, whether you look at uh, Matthew, his genealogy, uh, they both trace the lineage of, uh, from the human perspective, the human side of things, uh, 
we see that Matthew, through, through Joseph, stepfather, and also all the way through, through uh, genealogy of Luke up to Mary, the, the birth mother of Jesus Christ. Uh, verse 18, we're going to see the genealogy of Jesus Christ through his real father, the Holy Spirit. And that's why verse 18 is genealogy is pretty small. It's a half of one verse. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And here we have Matthew writing a gospel record. This whole book is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's filled with truths of life and the ministry and the miracles of Jesus Christ as he walked on this earth. So you might look at the book of Matthew like a miracle book. There's all kinds of miracles in the book. I know there's a, the prophecies that foretold the, the birth and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you, you, you know many of the miracles if you started thinking about them in your own mind and, and making an own record of, of some of the miracles of Jesus. Supernatural healings. Uh, the lame walking. The blind seeing. Demonic spirits cast out. Storms calmed by Jesus just speaking. And the wind stops. 5,000 fed by five loaves and two fish. The raising of the dead. The raising of Lazarus. And it's all capped off with the greatest miracle of all, and that is Christ rose from the dead. And not only that, He ascended to be with His heavenly Father in heaven. And so ultimately this is a book about miracles, yes, but it's also a book about redemption. The salvation of souls from sin. And so as you read through the book of Matthew, you'll find the way to forgiveness. You'll find the way to being reconciled, to have peace with God. The way to be adopted into the very family of God, be one of His children. And, 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 and culminating with the very gift of everlasting life. So what this means is that this great gift of salvation that Christ came to give to His people... Uh, came to us through just a life of miracles. And so we shouldn't be surprised that when you open up the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 18, that it opens up with a miracle. His birth was a miracle. Then the rest of his life we see fleshed out through the pages of Matthew. They were filled with miracles. Um, Perhaps one of the great miracles of Christ was the fact that he was born of a virgin. Think about that one. This person of Christ, uh, Donald McLeod wrote, he writes this, he says, The virgin birth is posted on guard at the door of the mystery of Christmas. And none of us must think of hurrying past it. It stands on the threshold of the New Testament, blatantly supernatural, defying our rationalism, informing us that all that flows, follows belongs to the same order. And as itself, that we, that we find it offensive, there is no point in proceeding any further. And so what he's saying quickly is that uh, the door of the New Testament really opens with, with a miracle. That miracle is the birth of Jesus Christ to a virgin. And if you struggle with that, you're going to struggle with the rest of the book of Matthew. You're going to struggle with the, the rest of all the, the gospel records. In fact, you're going to find them offensive. Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, 
a woman that knew no man had a child. The child's name was Jesus. Those who want to have something to do with Christian faith but cannot swallow the idea of a virgin birth know nothing of the Christian faith. I was surprised I was reading this week, uh, you know, this time of year, all kinds of polls are taken in Christian circles. So you can find statistics on a lot of, a lot of different things, whether it's through Gallup or other, other polls. But here's one that overall, this is this year, 66%, I'm surprised it's that high, 66% of Americans believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. Do you believe that? Well, it says so. I don't know. It's 66%. But that's down from 73% just four years ago. So you can see the, the understanding, the belief, embracing the idea of a virgin birth is, is slowly being diminished in our, in our culture. And then when you look at, at, at believers, that's just the general public, there's a growing doubt among believers today in the church of, of a virgin birth. You know, I sat at my desk this last week and tried to contemplate what this means. Do this sometimes. Think what it means for a woman, a young woman, who's never been with a man, to conceive a child. How does that happen? How does that take place? Uh, you know, I wrestle with that, and I, you know, okay, well, it's God, it's the Holy Spirit, but how does that work? And as more that I wrestle with it, the more I realize I, I just cannot figure that out. I have no idea how that works. All I know is it's a miracle that's mentioned in the Scripture that we're called to believe. In fact, it makes absolutely no rational sense to us. A virgin gave birth to a child. There's no logical, scientific, rationalistic understanding, but we know this. It's true because it's in the Word of God. So... What are you going to do with this claim? What are you going to do with this understanding? Is really something we're going to look at tonight. It's no wonder that the ground zero for the enemies of the gospel want to take aim at, at some of the miracles of Scripture, including the miracle of the virgin birth. Even the enemies of the gospel realize if you can take aim at the virgin birth and shoot it down so it no longer is something that, 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 that's even possibly real other than a myth, that you can really shoot down who Christ is, you can shoot down who the Bible is, or what the Bible is, and you can shoot down the gospel itself and really bring down all of Christianity. Because what I want to show you tonight is this, the wonderful truth that your Christian faith, the Christian faith, hangs on the miracle of the virgin birth. And you do away with that, and there is no Christianity at all. We're going to see that in just a minute. There's many today who argue that it's a hoax, Many even in Christian circles that argue that it's a myth, it's a misrepresentation of Scripture. I was reading a quote from Andy Stanley, uh, who recently said, maybe the thought is that they had to come up with some myth about the birth of Jesus to give him street cred later on. And so perhaps this is a made-up myth, as if Jesus needed what? Street cred. Remember, this is one of Satan's strategies, is to cast doubt on the Word of God and to twist the Word of God in such a way that it loses its truthful meaning. There's those today who think you can be a Christian and deny the virgin birth. Uh, 
and still deny the miracle of the virgin birth. They can say, well, you know, I, I can believe in Jesus without believing in his virgin birth. It's not that big of a deal. But one thing I want us to see tonight is this. It's, it is a big deal. It's a huge deal. In fact, if there is no miraculous birth of Jesus, there is no Christianity. Do you realize that? Uh, if there is no virgin birth, there is no truth to the Bible, which is the Word of God. If there is no virgin birth, there is no Creator, the Lord Jesus Christ. If there is no virgin birth, there is no salvation. There is no forgiveness of sins. There is no eternal life. In fact, to loosely quote the Apostle Paul on a holiday season, he wrote this. If there's no virgin birth, let's all get up, let's leave, let's eat Christmas cookies, let's drink our eggnog, and let's go out and be merry, because tomorrow we all die. A few reasons why it's essential. The Bible teaches it. The Bible declares it. If you do away with the virgin birth, you do away with the Bible. Uh, the veracity, the moral veracity of, of Jesus Christ rests on the virgin birth. He himself declared to be the son of the living God. He declared to be very God. And if he was not, then he was a liar. And thirdly, your, your salvation. Those of you who trust in Christ for salvation, your whole salvation is built on this miracle of the virgin birth. That babe born in the manger was both God and man. That, that, that theologians call it the hypostatic union of God and man. So that when he was born, he was all God and he was what? All man. It had to be that way. The virgin birth and divinity of Christ is the foundation, truth of the gospel itself. We've been looking in Romans, the doctrine of justification by faith. There is no justification by faith. If Christ is not God, and if, if there was no virgin birth for him as he came into this world. So let me just give you a quick review of why Christ came. Why, did, why was Christ born in a manger? He came because of his name, it says it, to save people from their what? Their sins. That was his mission. That's why he came. And... Uh, how could a just God, though, do this? If he just came into the world and went around and tapped everybody on the head and said, you're forgiven, you're all going to heaven, hallelujah, let's go. But he didn't do it that way because he realized this. God realizes that our sin demands a what? A sacrifice. A penalty has to be paid for the sins of, of, of us. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. And, uh, and so those who sin must die. And, and, and that's justice. And the very justice of heaven required someone to be a sin bearer, someone to die on behalf of others, and someone to bear the wrath of the heavenly Father. Now, here's the problem. It couldn't be a man. Because a man sins, or a woman, if they sin. All they can do is atone and pay for their own sins forever under the wrath of Almighty God. But it couldn't be God either because God doesn't die. He's eternal. So how do we resolve the issue of justice? One laying down their life and dying who's perfect without sin. And then you come up with, with God's perfect plan, which was to unite the man and God together in, in, in the person 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that happened through the virgin birth. So uh, you see where that's why Matthew begins here. That, that's why this miracle is the gateway to the rest of the gospel of, of Matthew. This is the foundation miracle of, of, of our salvation. I mean, the Bible goes on to describe this miracle. It says that when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, Mary, of course, we, we know a, lot, a little bit about Mary. We know more about Mary than we do about Joseph. But she was a young lady who, from Nazareth, a, a godly young lady, full of faith, trusted in, in God. And one day, the Bible records that angels, an angel came to her and announced to her that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah. Over in Luke chapter 1, verse 30, it says, The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and it will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So then Mary interrupted and said, well, said to the angel, Well, how will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child uh, to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the, uh, in the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now, one of the things we see from Mary is this, is her faithfulness. I mean, can you imagine being Mary and having an angel show up and, 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 and tell you all these wonderful things that are going to happen to you? How would you respond? I mean, Mary responded, we see from Scripture, with a great faith, the faith of a young lady. In verse 38 it says, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So I'm in faith. Go ahead. I'm your servant. Do with me as you choose. So, ladies, imagine yourself. I mean, you know, we don't know how old Mary was. You know, you read about all kinds of possible uh, ages, but... Most agree she was at least in her teen years. You know, young teens, middle teens, late teens, we don't know. Uh, so here she is, a single lady, young lady, and this angel shows up one day and appears to her. And says, by the way, Mary, you're going you're, you're to give birth to the Messiah that's spoken of in Scripture. God the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you supernaturally in some way and cause you to conceive and bear a son, even though you're a virgin. Now, what would be your response to an angel that talked to you that way? I mean, what would go through your mind? Uh, God the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you supernaturally. You know, like, what do you mean? I'm to have a baby and I'm out of wedlock? Is that what you're telling me? 
Are you telling me that God surely, uh, uh, you must know that I'm, I'm betrothed, I've never been with a man, I'm a virgin, it's impossible for me to have a child? By the way, let me think a little bit further. What's this going to do to my reputation? Ugh. What about Joseph? What's he going to think? I've never been with a man. We're betrothed. We have this relationship right now, but we've never been together uh, sexually. And now I'm with child. What's he going to think of me? And then I think of my friends and my loved ones, the neighbors down the street. They see me walking around with child. And they know that I'm a virgin. What what are they going to think? You know, it's going to bring public ridicule and, and public ribbing. And yet she says, remember, she says, Behold, I'm a servant. I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Scripture reminds us, and uh, Pete reminded us, that she was betrothed of Joseph. Now, I don't know if you understand what the word be. That's kind of an old word, betrothed. What does it mean to be betrothed to Joseph? Well, under the marriage customs of the Hebrews, uh, a young couple would get... Think of betrothal this way. Engagement and marriage coming together in one thing. Partially. In other words, a person who is betrothed, so you have your, your young lady and the young man, and they, and they go and they, they exchange their marital vows with, with one another. And then that's the end of it for a year. And then they, they maintain... Uh, the marriage isn't consummated, and they pledge their troth to one another, their faithfulness to one another. Uh, they have witnesses that are present. These are binding. These are binding promises you make uh, during this what would appear like an engagement period. They are so binding that if you went out with someone else sexually, you could be stoned to death, and so binding in a way that uh, it would require divorce to break up your promises even though you've never lived together, even though you've never been intimate with one another. But like our engagement period, it was not consummated when the promises were exchanged. Perhaps up to 12 months would go by before there would be a consummation of the marriage. And then, of course, a great, before that, right before that, is a great celebration and feast. This is the time period that we find ourselves in in Matthew 1.18 in the middle of this betrothal period. They've exchanged vows. They have not been intimate with one another. The angel comes and says, by the way, you're going to have a child. And Scripture says, before they came together, before they lived together, before they were sexually intimate with one another. And Mary remained a virgin throughout her betrothal period. I don't know how long that was. By the way, dads, uh, you know, in, in those days, if you put on a party for your celebration for a marriage, it could have lasted a week. I mean, you have to have deep pockets as a dad to be able to pay for a week's party for all your friends and relatives to come over. I mean, you know, it's a few hours when, when your daughter gets married now. But back in those days, the, the wedding feast went on for, for up to a week. And it was during this time, this betrothed period, with no physical intimacy, before the feast, before the consummation of the marriage, the angel came that she would give, have 
be with child. And it says, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And you ask, well, how could that be? Didn't, didn't come totally as a surprise. It was revealed to her. But in verse 35 of Luke 1, it says, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child is to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And it's, care- it's interesting how careful the Holy Spirit is in choosing the words out in, the, in, in, in whatever happened between the Holy Spirit and Mary. Very carefully worded this in such a way that He'll come upon you. The power of the Most High He'll overshadow you. And all this happens in a way where, where she becomes pregnant with, with God himself uh, and therefore will give birth to the Son of God. By the way, the Holy Spirit is the life giver, isn't he? Genesis 1.1, the Spirit of God came upon the, the face of the deep and brought life. He's the life giver. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. It's inspired. It's living. It's, it's alive because he penned this as well. And he brought life to Mary. Now, the Jesus asked the Pharisees uh, during his life an interesting question. And I want to kind of close with, with, with this question. I want to pose it to you in Matthew twenty two forty two, saying this. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? That was the question that was posed. Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. But really the answer is given here in verse 18. He's the son of God. That's the answer. Who is Jesus? He is the son of God. The eternal son of God. Mary is his mother. She was born of a virgin. And God the Holy Spirit is his father. And he is the eternal son of God. You know, Al Mohler, some of you know the name, he, uh, I think he has a podcast that's out today, and uh, he was asked once uh, the question, and he posed the question as well, must one believe in the virgin birth to be a Christian? Must you believe the virgin birth to be a Christian? And uh, And he answers by saying it is conceivable that someone might come to Christ and trust Christ as their Savior without yet even learning about the virgin birth. So you could become a Christian without learning of the virgin birth first. That's why he says the real question is, can a Christian, once aware that the Bible teaches the virgin birth of Christ, reject that virgin birth? And his answer is no. And I think he's right. The answer must be no. Let me tell you, brethren, for those of, us, for those of you who are in Christ, this is a hill to die on. You know, when, when the enemy comes and they put you against the wall, recant this, recant that, or we're going to put a bullet between your, your eyes, this is one where you take the bullet. You, you, you never recant on the virgin birth of Christ because once you do that, you, 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 recant, you recant on everything uh, that is that is that brings salvation to your soul. Because only then uh, can Jesus, the God Man, the God who's with us, sacrificially die on a hill for us that we might have everlasting life.
You know, I don't know if all of you who are here this, this afternoon, this evening, but uh, what I've shared with you is some pretty good news. I mean, it's good news. God came to Mary. It's good news that she gave birth to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God with us. He came to lay down His life. He came to sacrificially take the, the penalty for the sins of all that He came to, to save. And what a wonderful gift it was, because what He did was He took the wrath, He took the punishment of the Father that we deserved. He took it upon Himself. That what could happen is that if we trust in Him and Him alone, our sins can be forgiven. And in return, we receive the very righteousness of Christ eternally. If you've never trusted in Christ, I can't even think of a better day than the day before Christmas. If you're still pondering these things like Mary was, don't ponder much longer than tomorrow, which is Christmas Day. And I would just exhort you, plead with you, encourage you with all all that I have within me to put your faith in Christ. Turn away from your sins and put your faith in Christ alone. And He will give you the gift of everlasting life. And that's a gift that will never go away. It's a gift that, that, that you'll be with Him forever. Your sins will be forgiven. And you'll be clothed in His perfect righteousness. And for all of us, we have a big day coming up tomorrow. We're looking forward to worshiping uh, Christ's birth on, on Christmas Day. How, how often does this happen? Is it every four years, six years, or what, that Christmas falls on the 25th? No, no one knows? Well, I don't feel bad then. Okay. I, I know it's not every year. It's either every four years or six years. Anyway, this is a special time because it's on Sunday this year. And so we're gathering to worship our Savior's birth on the 25th on Sunday, the Lord's Day, the day that He also what? rose from the dead. So come tomorrow, join us, worship, bring a heart of joy, and, uh, and may God receive all the glory for all that he's done through his son. And so, Father, we just close tonight thanking you, Lord, for your word speaking to us. Lord, a little simple truth, but so deep, so meaningful. A virgin gave forth a birth of a son, his name was Jesus. And for that, we praise you and thank you and pray, Lord, that that great truth, that miracle would just work its way deeply into our hearts, producing faith and trusting in him alone for salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.